Are you listening? Yes. Are you really listening? <coughs> the common joke is the wife taps me on the shoulder and says, you didn't hear a word I said. And I thought to myself, what a strange way to start a conversation. Sometimes we as parents have to tell our children, are you listening to me? And then when they say, uh-huh, and you say, what did I just say? Well, I don't know. Because they really weren't listening. Well, we can hear something or we can think we hear something. And, and there are times that, that if, if we're not careful, uh, we can, I'm trying to remember the saying that my dad used to tell me. He, he may remember it better than I do, but I, 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 something about, I, I think you know you thought you heard what I thought I said, but what I really said was, and if that's not confusing enough, there are times that we can think that we hear something or we can interpret something not based on truth, not based on fact, but based on our perception, based on how we want it to be heard or based on how we want, we think that we should have, maybe would like to have heard it said instead. And there are times that we can come to the scriptures and, and, and the scriptures are very clear in that we are to heed God's word. And I can't tell you how many times in the years of my ministry I have heard people say things like, that's just your opinion, Pastor. Or I don't think it really says that, or I don't think it really means that. Well, what do you think it means? Well, I, I don't know, I, but I'm sure it doesn't mean that. And it's really the oldest question in theology. It's really the only, oldest question in the book. And that is in the Word of God. Did God really say that? It, you, you see, we, we have a problem, or we don't have a problem so much with... I'm going to put up a couple of words here. You can make yourself some notes, maybe on the back of that first sheet. We're handing out. But we don't have much of a problem with this word. Orthodoxy. What is orthodoxy? Anybody? So, yes, well, it's, it's basically what we believe. It's our doctrine, okay? <laughs> However, most Christians do have a problem with this. Orthopraxy. And orthopraxy is actually the practice of the doctrine that you believe. So we can say, for example, how many of you have ever been in a church where they recited like the Apostles' Creed or the Athanasian Creed or the Nicene Creed, anything like that, okay? How many of you have ever been to a church that has a covenant on the wall and it says, we hereby pledge, etc., etc., and it's on the wall, 
It's normally found in most Baptist churches, some Bible churches. And this covenant that is on there, I guarantee you that most church members have never even read that document. Because if they did, most of them would never either come back or they would never agree to that covenant. Because that covenant requires something. Those creeds require something if we are going to have a biblical orthopraxy. And that is, number one, a life of integrity. A life of holiness. A life of commitment. For example, you used to be a baseball player. And you've got a long history of baseball players in your family. I got to play two seasons, I think, of baseball when I was a kid. And, um, which is very interesting if you consider that some of you know I only have sight in my left eye, so I've got no depth perception. And I've been clocked a couple of times in the head because I never saw the ball coming. Okay? Yeah, that's what's wrong with me, exactly. But there are times when we would get together and the coach would say, okay, it's time to practice, and we would have to do base sprints. Run to first, run to second, run to third, run back home again, run out to the outfield, and we would practice scooping up the ball, and the, the coach would hit the ball out to us on a regular basis at different positions, and we'd have to chase after the ball, and we'd have to field and getting, get it back in again. But one of the things I can remember, one of the only things I can remember the coach saying is, if you don't practice, you don't play. You can't show up. These guys who are professional players, they, I mean, we, we, we can mock them because they make $14 million every time they show up to a game. But what they're not showing you is that for nine, ten months out of the year, they're actually at the stadium or they're at the gym or they're at the whatever making sure that their bodies are prepared to be able to take the hits that they that they take i mean if you think it's easy take a guy like me and put him on the front line and send a 320 pound linebacker after him and when i get flattened and you dig me out of the mud you'll realize why i don't play football some of you guys are big enough, you can do things like that. You can play football. Maybe you did. But here's the problem with biblical Christianity. There are a lot of times that we can be great spectators, but we don't want to get out on the field and actually do the playing. And I think as we see what's going on in the world around us and we see what's going on within evangelical Christianity... We would do well to remember 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 because the Bible does remind us that in the latter times or in the end times, there will be an apostasy and the apostasy is not from those who are without. This is not an argument about the Mormons or, or, or the Jehovah's Witness. This is about those within the church. The word is a reference there. The apostasy comes from within. And boy, are we finding that out today. 
because there are a lot of churches that are falling by the wayside. There are a lot of pastors who have stopped preaching the truth, and there are some who are preaching the truth, and yet little by little, little by little, they have actually changed their stance on something, and then before you know it, right off into the weeds, or they have gone off into heresy. Anybody here know the name Francis Chan? Okay, some of you may recognize him. Francis Chan, within the last seven or eight months, has openly embraced Roman Catholicism. This is a guy who was evangelical, who shared the pulpit with people like uh, Alistair Begg, like in the past, and, and Justin Peters, and, and other conferences. And, and, and this is a guy who is not welcome now within evangelical circles. And you know how it started? It started by him taking a passage of scripture and instead of studying the word of God to make sure, he began surrounding himself with people who told him what he wanted to hear because there was no accountability. And you know what's crazy is, is in this other situation that we have had and we have talked about, and that's not what the purpose of this class is, but in regards to the situation, for example, with Alistair Begg. This was a comment that he made five, four or five months ago, and most people never even heard it, never even picked up until finally somebody went back and just happened to be listening and said, wait a minute, let's put the brakes on here. And the reason that this is important to me this morning is because you, as a body of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ at Yellowstone Baptist Church, it is vital that you be a better listener. That I be a better listener. That, 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 that as we listen to, it doesn't matter who it is, it, it, and, and any one of us could fall if we are not held accountable. It, it could be any man who is ministering or standing in the pulpit. If we're not careful, listen, I don't like everything that the Bible tells me that I have to do to be as a believer. And I'm sure that if you were to read the entire entire tome of scripture, there are going to be things that you find that you don't like. If you don't believe me, go and read the book of Judges. I mean, who in their right mind would include the book of Judges in the Bible? I mean, what a sordid account of all the things that took place. And yet God in his mercy and his grace and his providence put it in there so that we could learn what it means when every man does what is right in his own eyes and goes away from the law of God what happens and you know that's exactly where we're at as a nation we have gone away from the laws of God we have gone from there there is a progression and I know John MacArthur has covered this very well but there's a progression within a country and in a culture or in a society and they go from this, they go from being a moral society or a moral culture. In fact, anthropology, which is the study of man, will tell you that you can go into any country, any culture, any kind of existence, including those who live in a Stone Age existence, and you will find that they have a sense of morality in their culture. Why? Because the conscience has been given to them by God to tell them the difference between right and wrong. If you were to read the books, if, if any of you are familiar with the books by Don Richardson, Peace Child, 
um, lords of the earth, for example, that he gives the account where these missionaries who go into people who are actually headhunters, they're cannibalizing uh, people from various tribes. And when these people actually come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know what the missionaries found out? These cannibals knew what they were doing was wrong. And so a country or culture or society will go from being immoral to being, or from being moral to immoral. Immoral is the lack or the bad side of the moral. So they will go, for example, over the last few years, we've seen the approval of homosexual marriage, which is not really marriage anyway, because every country in the world can adopt that definition of marriage, but they're not the ones that get to define it. Only God does. Now you can go into the school system, and now you have to deal with, for example, the transgenderism issue. And this is something that is actually taking not just our schools, but our media. It's taking everything by storm. In fact, if you go on, whether it's LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever, there are a lot of people, including, sadly, pastors, who are actually posting their preferred pronouns now. He, him, she, her, whatever. No. The Bible says God created the male and female. There aren't 78 different, I'm sorry, Fox News. There aren't 78 different genders. There are two genders, male and female. And, and when you and I, if our bones are ever dug up 100 years from now or 1,000 years from now, scientists are going to be able to study those bones and they're going to know immediately, here lies a woman or here lies a man. It doesn't matter what you think between your two ears because what you think doesn't mean anything. I can think that I'm Superman, but you'll never see me be able to fly. Now, the third step, though, I believe is where we are at. You see, because after a while, in Romans chapter 1, God makes it clear that after a while, he will turn over a nation or a society or a people over to the depravity of their minds. He will give them over. And you then have a society that becomes amoral. Ah is the Greek word for no, it's a negative, and it means no morals, no morality. Stop anybody on the street and ask them, do you believe in such a thing as truth? Is truth subjective? Is there anything like absolute truth? And most people will disagree with you that there is no absolute truth. There is absolute truth, though, and it is found in God and in his word. He is the beginning and end of all truth. Proverbs chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in Proverbs 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And when we have a fear of God, we begin to gain knowledge and wisdom and we find ourselves becoming more like the one who called us to be conformed to the image of his son, Romans chapter 8. But if you have a problem listening, you're going to listen to all of the loud voices that are out there. Listen, I don't care what the world says, but the percentage of LGBTQ people in the world is minuscule compared to the numbers that they are supposedly spouting. 
Well, what's very interesting, though, is in the certain demographics, and that's the current millennial generation, mm -hmm. how much more they identify. Because, like, in our generation, it's like point, or it's like 2%. But in this one, but in the current generation, according to Barna, it was like 24 yeah, I was going to say it's 24, 25%. Is what they identify, and that's and it's just in that demographic. Yeah, because they're allowed to, and encouraged in the school system to practice, to, what's what's the word, um, experiment, explore. explore your sexuality, to determine what you actually like. And that will determine what you are. So with, with that comment you just said, and what we said this week when I was listening to that guy... He made one key point. He says, um, man is created in the image of God, and they destroy the image of God once in our school systems are doing that. Destroy the image of God and give them a choice of their own identity. And that's why you see an elevation of choosing identities. Because the image of God is irrelevant. It's yeah. destroyed. Well, now, now you have people that are arguing over whether we should use the United Methodist Church, the Anglican Church is now considered in, in, in England, to identify God as being transsexual. We don't identify, we don't say our Father who art in heaven anymore. You can say whatever you want. Our Mother who is in heaven. Our whatever you want to put fill in the blank. And again, the reason we have gotten to that point is because this is where we're at. And people used to ask me when we first went over to England and, and the first church that I pastored and we were raising funds to go over there, and people said, well, what, what do you see as the difference? Do you think that England really needs the gospel? Uh, not only did I think the, that England needed the gospel 20 years ago, I think they need the gospel even more today. I think we do as well here in America. And, and my, the comment that I used to make in every church that I presented the ministry, I said, here's the difference between England and America. I said, I believe that England is probably about 15 to 20 years ahead of where America is as far as the degradation, the level of immorality, the direction that they're going. I believe that England is far more depraved. I can't say that anymore. I think America has gone light years ahead of every other country in the world. I mean, we're at a point now where where you can't even receive funds from our government, even if you're a country in need, unless you are approving of abortion and of the LGBTQ agenda. How is it that we have gone from being a nation that God has blessed to thinking that we are the morality police for the entire world? Because at one point in time, we were. Yes. A moral country. But we follow that law, that law of thermodynamics. Yeah. Yep. It all goes from, from order to chaos. Order to chaos. Yep. And that's what we're finding. So I, I want you to look with me at this lesson sheet that you've got in front of you because I want to help you to become a better listener. Listen, do you remember the account of Elijah? Or Elijah, and he is standing in a cave and he's complaining because everything's going, the whole world's going to pod and, and Israel and Judah and, and everything. And, and poor old Elijah, he's there in the cave all by himself. Woe is me. And what does God tell him? There are still 7,000 who have not bowed the knee. 
if every government in the world, if every church in Cheyenne, except for ours, were to go the way of the world, if every creed was changed, if every doctrinal statement was changed, it wouldn't make it right. Here's the thing. One day, if we find persecution coming to this country and you were to find yourself... Has anybody ever seen the, the movie The Count of Monte Cristo or read the book? Okay. Could you imagine living for 12 or 13 years in a cell and never seeing anybody but one day a year? Now, think, think about those people who live in places like North Korea or Vietnam or Laos or even parts of China who are struggling through that and they're doing it for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his testimony. Who don't get to see their families, who don't get to spend time with their children, who don't get to talk with anybody else. They're beaten if they speak up at all. And they spend year after year, day after day, month after month, year after year in these prison cells until God chooses to take them home. What if we were in that position and you didn't think there was anybody else left in the world but you? Would it change where you stand? We've been listening to men who rock the world. And some of those men like Thomas Cranmer, for example, who originally recanted of his belief and then turned around and recanted of his recanting. And as he stood in the pulpit and he said, no, I cannot disobey my Lord. I cannot disobey his word. And then was taken to the stake. And as they lit the fire, he put his hand in the fire and held it there until it burned off. And said, Lord, forgive me. But I want to put my hand that recanted that signed that paper and it deserves to be burned. That's a man with that had some integrity. That's a man who has some honor. That's a man who is now recognized as a hero of the faith in the reformed traditions, if you will. And the reason I want you to be a better listener is because I know that one day I'll be gone. I don't know when the Lord will take me. I, I don't know wh when it comes our time to leave, whether through accident or, or whether it be through uh, having a heart attack or whatever it may be, or retirement. I know pastors aren't allowed to retire. But seriously, what happens when I'm gone? If you're not a better listener, uh, the reason why the church fell into the position that it was in previous to our coming was because ministers in the were standing in the pulpit and saying this is what I think this is my opinion instead of saying no open your Bibles and let's hear what God's word has to say that's what you and I have to be doing every week so how do you become a better listener 2nd Corinthians chapter 13 verse 5 and I would recommend that you highlight, star this, if you highlight or mark in your Bibles, this is a verse that I would recommend that you do. And if somebody has that verse, if you would like to, or as soon as you have that verse, if you would like to read that aloud for us. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. 
examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Wow. You want to know whether you're a true believer or not? Ask yourself, does Jesus Christ live within me? You say, well, why is that important? I said the prayer. Didn't ask you whether you said the prayer. I asked you whether Jesus Christ resides within you, whether he is within your being. And he himself said during his ministry, he said, if you love me, you will do what? Keep my commandments. But if you dare to bring up, keep the commandments, well, what commandments are we talking about? I'm not a murderer. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not a whatever. Uh, no, no, no. God is not concerned about that. It's what's here. Have you thought about that? Have you hated somebody? That's the same as murder. Have you lusted after another person? That's the same as committing adultery. You see, when Christ came, the problem with the Pharisees was they looked good on the outside. They had the extra large ribbon of blue down around the bottom of their garment. And yet Jesus said, no, you're, all, you're nothing but whitewashed sepulchers because the inside you're full of rotting bones, rotting flesh. And so we find that when Jesus came, he said, no, it's not about what's on the outside. It's about what's on the inside. It is out of the, I used to say this quite often, and I used it here as well, but I talk about heart issues all the time. What is in your heart? Because what is in your heart will eventually come out. It will come out through your mouth. It will come out through your actions. It will come out through every part of your being. You cannot pretend for long because somebody will see. And here's the question that you should ask yourself. Do, and, and then once you have asked yourself, just in case you find that you are maybe duping yourself in some way, go to your next nearest neighbor, go to your spouse, go to your daughter, your son, and ask them, do I reflect Jesus Christ to you? Or is there something about me that all you see is Mark instead of Jesus? See, this is what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians. He, and he says that on multiple times, he says, some of you think you're following Apollos, and some of you are following Cephas, and some of you are following me. And he says, did any of us die for you? No, follow Christ. So the first thing here on your list, test or examine yourself. You see, if you're not a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never be able to fully understand the scriptures. I've had, in fact, we, we have been talking, um, and you mentioned one of your family members, um, uh, 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 and, and the comment was, well, I don't understand that part of the Bible. I don't understand this. Well, no, you're not going to. Uh, but, but, it, but if you go, for, for example, if, if I were to pull up a fiction book, and I say, man, this is a really good book, and you say, well, that's just fiction. Well, it's only fiction if you think it's fiction. There are a lot of conspiracy theories start that way. And so we read this book and we think, oh, well, yeah, I'm not sure. And so we begin questioning reality. We begin questioning the facts. And before long, we are believing fiction. 
And if we're not careful, there are going to be times that you and I are going to end up believing fiction when it comes to the Word of God. This is why I've been encouraging you. We're, we're now in the second month of the year. It's hard to believe. Here we are. It's November already. February. February. I was just seeing if you were listening. <laughs> it's February. And we're going to be at the end of the year again in just a blink of an eye. And the question that you need to ask yourself is, do I have a desire, whether it's through reading the scriptures? If, if, if I were to stand, and, and one of the things I heard in a message I was listening to this last week, and it was in regards to the charismatic chaos that is, that is being found and is, and is prolif, uh, 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 proliferating throughout even evangelicalism, and that is in regards to signs and wonders. If, and this minister is actually Steve Lawson, and he made the comment. He said, you know, if, if I announced on the Sunday before, and I said, listen, God spoke to me and I had a personal revelation and I want you to come next Sunday to be able to hear what God said directly to me. The pews would be filled. But if you stand up and tell people, open your Bibles and turn with me and let's hear God's word and see exactly what he has to say to us, sometimes you don't even hear the rustle of pages. You know why? Because our emotions are what's driving us. So test or examine yourself. Ask others. Have a desire in your heart that by the end of the year that, that you have a desire to be more like Jesus Christ at the end of 2024 than you did at the end of 2023. There are some things that you guys have learned in the last six, seven months that most of you have been here. And, and you're going to find you're going to find that you're going to learn even more this year. But you get to the end of this year, and if all you've done is got a head full of knowledge and you haven't applied it, you've wasted your year. Secondly, so the first line, test or examine yourself. The second point, confess and forsake sin continually. Now remember, we're talking about being a better listener. Somebody look up 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Somebody else will look up Proverbs 28, 13. I have 1 John. Go ahead. 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Okay. So here, here's the point that John is saying, and it's one of the tests of being a believer. We can't come to God and confess the sins that we think that maybe others have seen in us. We have to confess all of our unrighteousness. <clears throat> we have to be willing to say, God, I agree with you on how you see me. And you see, the only way that God can see us any differently is through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are cleansed and we are covered in his robes of righteousness. Because you and I and ourselves, we don't bring anything to the table but wickedness. Depravity. And, and there, there are times when we can be so generic even in our prayers. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Well, what sins are we talking about? Because saying, we well, forgive us of all of our sins. And I can remember my parents saying things like this to me when we were growing up. And, and maybe we had had, our, my sister and I had had, 
had some kind of a, a, a dust up or, or we had had an argument or something and we had been not very nice to each other. And so we say, well, I'm sorry. Because mom and dad made us say that we were sorry. Well, what are you sorry for? Oh, I don't want to say that. And no, the point was that mom and dad were trying to point out to us is, no, you need to make things right for having the argument, for acting in a way that was not pleasing to God. And then we also had to learn things like, well, if somebody says that they're sorry or that they ask for forgiveness, too often our response is, oh, don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Oh, it's okay. Parents and grandparents, I want to recommend to you, you've got a brand new little fella, every chance you, uh, a little grandson, cute little fella, but every time you get an opportunity to be able to talk with him as, as he's growing up, you need to be seeking, if mom and dad aren't doing it, to instill Jesus Christ in him. You need to be telling them the truth. It, you need to be telling them that it's important that we make things right with one another, that we keep a short account. You know, one of the biggest problems that I have found within marriages when marriages fail, the reason that marriages fail more times than not is because we refuse to humble ourselves before one another and we refuse to actually seek forgiveness. You see, we have no problem identifying the faults in the other person, but what happens when the fault comes and lands at our doorstep? How are we handling that? Are we actually saying, hey, wife, husband, son, daughter, please forgive me. I have sinned against you and against God. God has forgiven me and now I'm asking you to forgive me. Oh, it's all right. No, it's not all right. Jesus Christ had to die for that sin. So it's not all right. Learn to teach your children not just to ask for forgiveness, but then to say, I forgive you. You know, most, most of the counseling that I've done down through the years, if people had learned that as a little child, how to truly ask for forgiveness and to extend forgiveness when it, forgiveness needs to be extended, it would take care of the majority of the counseling that I've ever had to do. Who has Proverbs 28, 13? Go ahead, Mom. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. You cover your sins, you won't prosper. But whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. You know how we know when revival comes? We find hearts that have been made tender. We, we find people who are willing to say, hey, listen, I don't think you even realized that I had offended you, but it's been bothering me, and so I want you to know that I had to ask God for that, to be forgiven of that. And whether you took it as an offense or not, I'm asking you to forgive me. And so what do we do? We end up turning around and we say, Brother, just as Christ forgave me, I forgive you. That's the only biblical pattern that we have. You know, there, there, there are people, and I've dealt with people, and, and they can't forgive something that happened 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. You know, there is nothing 
I want you to hear me carefully on this. I want you to be a really good listener. There is no sin that is committed against you or I that is worse than the sin that you and I have personally committed against Jesus Christ. And if Jesus Christ can extend forgiveness to us, we must also extend forgiveness to others. You say, well, they don't want to accept my forgiveness. That's not your responsibility. You simply extend forgiveness or ask for forgiveness whether they give it to you or not. It allows you to sleep free at night because you've done what the Bible commands you and I to do. <coughs> now, don't misunderstand me. This, this doesn't mean just because there was some kind of abuse or there was something that went on in your life or, or maybe your life just fell apart and somebody helped to contribute to that. That doesn't mean that we, and we've talked about this, that doesn't mean that we forgive and forget. Our memories don't allow us to do that. We are human. But we forgive, and by forgiving, biblically, what we are saying is, I am not going to throw this in your face every time you and I see each other again. We're going to put this aside. And even if you don't put it aside, for my sake, before the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to put it aside. Therefore, I'm not going to allow this to be a part of a future conversation because Christ has forgiven me, and I've asked you for forgiveness. So therefore, as far as I'm concerned, this is now between you and God. Does that make sense? So confess and forsake sin continually. Again, if you want to become a better listener, and we're talking primarily like if you come and you're listening to a message, it could be here on Saturday, it could be on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or in the Sunday Bible class. If we're examining ourselves, if, if we're confessing our sin, uh, for example, there's a lot of stuff that's been covered. And, 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 and Dad, for example, ha has covered things like be a hearer of the word, but not a hearer only, but a doer. And so we should be asking ourselves, we shouldn't be thinking, oh, I wish so-and-so was here. They sure could have listened to this message and used it. <laughs> what we should be saying is, Lord, is there an area where I have failed this week to be a doer of the word? Forgive me. When he gets to James chapter 3, and he's dealing with the tongue. Lord, have you helped me guard my tongue this, this week? If I haven't guarded my tongue the way that I should, or if I have caused needless offense against the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, then Lord Jesus, please forgive me and help me to guard my tongue better this week through the strength of the Holy Spirit. You see, that's actually being a better listener. That's making this applicable. This is confessing that sin. There are two more aspects. For the sake of time, I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. As newborn babes long for the pure milk, that by it you may grow up, up into salvation. And there are two principles here that we need to consider. One is putting aside. Every one of us have things in our heart and in our life that we need to work on putting aside in order to be more like Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's pretty arrogant or pretty bold of you to assume that I've got some kind of sin in my life. No, I'm just going based on the Word of God, and the Word of God says that we by nature are sinners. We are not perfectly holy. 
I, I would challenge you just this morning. Has every waking moment, whatever time it was that you woke up this morning until now, has the center of your focus for every single second, every single minute. It's now coming up for 10 o'clock. So in my case, I was up around 5.45, something like that this morning. So I have to ask myself, for the last four hours, has every single waking moment been focused on Jesus Christ? Nope. Any more than it has for you. And the Bible is clear that anything that rises and presents itself above Jesus Christ becomes its own idol. We're worshiping what we should not be worshiping. Now, that, that, that you say, well, you know, when I was brushing my teeth, I wasn't thinking about Christ. Why not? You know why? Because we're not disciplined enough to be able to do that at times. And when we're brushing our teeth, we could have we could have a verse taped to the to the bathroom mirror, and we could be brushing our teeth and thinking, Psalm one nineteen nine, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Lord, help me to take heed according to your word today. When we go up to the fridge, you see th th this this is where. It becomes practical. This, this is taking it right down to the level of where you and I live. When I go into the fridge and there's a little tiny bit of orange juice in there, instead of emptying all but that much of it and putting it back in the fridge, how should I handle that situation? How do you want your children to handle that situation? Maybe ask, is there anybody who might like the rest of the orange juice before I finish it off? You see, that's now thinking of others. That is loving others before myself. Or maybe when I finished it, I take it and I clean it out and I put it in the trash bin. Instead of somebody opening it up and saying, oh yeah, there's some in there and there's enough for me to have about half a swallow. Or going into the bathroom. And you go into the bathroom and somebody leaves two pieces of toilet paper on the roll left. And you begin to have devotional thoughts. <laughs> Instead of saying, Lord, help me to think of others. How would I feel if I walked in and there were only two pieces left here? And so I prepare myself to be able to think of others all the time. You see, uh, uh, brothers and sisters, the issue is not thinking of yourself more highly because we do that all the time. It's learning to think of others the way we already think of ourselves. And then the third prince, or the, the next principle there in letter C is Ephesians chapter 4. This is the put off, put on principle. What happens in a vacuum? Gets filled. Gets filled with something, right? Whether it's a vacuum cleaner, you have a bag and it's full of hot air, and over time as you are using that vacuum cleaner, what happens? All the dirt and the crumbs and everything fill up that space. You and I in our lives, we've got things that need to be replaced if we're going to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And to do that, you can't leave a vacuum. You need to be putting off the old things, putting on the new. For example, it's no different than what we teach our children. If, if we teach our children, no, you need to be nice to your sister. You need to be nice to your brother. So how do we do that? 
Well, if we're being a godly parent, a biblical parent, we should be teaching them how to think of their brother or sister better than what they have been. Or in the church. Or at work. Instead of automatically thinking, well, what rights do I have? You see, the world is full of, America is full of people who are demanding their rights. This isn't about our rights. This is about the fact that God graciously even allowed you to take another breath and you're at work, driving a car, doing whatever it is, by His mercy and by His grace. You and I don't deserve those things. He gives them to us out of His abundant mercy. But the put-off, put-on principle is very, very difficult because it requires us to put off the old man. For example, if, if somebody is struggling with lying, if, if one of our children struggles with telling lies all the time, uh, th then what should we be teaching them and imparting to them in regards to telling lies? Practice telling the truth. And again, for the sake of time, we're not going to go over all of this, but in Ephesians 4, he finishes up and he says even things like this, don't steal, but work with your hands. He's talking, I believe, to Christians who were in that church, maybe who have made a habit of actually stealing, and he's reminding them, no, put off the old man, put on the new. Have honest labor. Do what you're supposed to be doing. I can remember as an example, I can remember when I first started work and my dad and mom had always taught us that if you're on time, you're late. And so we would show up early to work. But, but over the first few years when I was married, I, I can remember going to places and, and things began to change in the workplace. And, and after a while, you could, you could check in up to seven minutes after the start of the clock, and you would still get paid for those seven minutes. And, you know, I actually had to hear a pastor stand up and tell me what I'm getting ready to tell you. I want you to figure something out for me. Seven minutes. Oh, and you could clock out seven minutes early and still get paid for the whole time. Okay, Now some of your workplaces may have actually changed that and it's actually been extended. It's actually greater than that now or it may be about the same. But seven minutes, let's figure this out. How many working out or, uh, 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 in a week? You've got seven times five. So that's 35 <coughs> minutes. And then again in the evening, if you did that, that's another 35 minutes. So that's, an, that's actually one hour and ten minutes per week that you're not giving due diligence to your employer if you're taking those seven minutes and your employer is still paying you for. 52 weeks a year, right? So 52 times 1.10 is roughly 52. So that's 52 hours. That's more than a week's worth of vacation that we're actually taken away from our employer if we're not giving them due diligence. And then the boss looks at us and he says, you say you're a Christian? You see how it becomes practical? Looks like stealing. It is stealing. 
It is. It's. It would be no different than than walking in and taking out stuff. Well, well, I, I think that I deserve a higher pay, but they're not giving it to me, so I'm just going to take supplies out of the closet. <laughs> I see that happen all the time in some of the places that I worked. Sadly, it's even found in the military. So confess and forsake sin, put off, put on, live in a way that if you were to be put on trial as a Christian, that there would be loads of evidence to convict you that you are a believer. Amen? Number three, prepare yourself for the message. Now some of these are going to be just practical helps and applications. If, if, if you, we, have, we, have a, we have a rule that we have established in our home. If it's after 5 o'clock on a Saturday and you want to watch a movie, what does it have to be, Hannah? It has to be a Christian-based movie. It has to be a Christian or a faith-based movie. Why? What it fills your mind with. That's exactly right. What does it fill your mind with? You know, if, if, if you have filled your mind with the Avengers or, or Marvel Universe or, or Lord of the Rings or whatever it is that you want to watch, it's Christmas, so you want to watch Die Hard 35, whatever it may be that you want to watch. Some of you know the reference. And then you get up in the morning, guess what's going to be on your mind? Do you think it's going to be the things of God? Nope. Nope. And then you're going to get in the car and there's going to be a tiff between you and the spouse or you and the kids. Hurry up. Next thing you know, you're walking in late. Your mind's not on the right things. You're already upset. And you sit down and you hear Sterling stand up or Brother Scott and he says, okay, now let's worship the Lord. And all you're thinking is... And you know what that does? That actually demeans the ministry that those who are actually doing the singing, what they're doing, it means that you're not prepared to give credibility to their <coughs> ministry. It means you're not giving credibility to the ministry of the Word when it comes time to hear the ministry. So how do we do this? Spend time praying. I think I shared with another class here not too long ago. I had a couple that came to see me and they came for counseling. This was not too long ago. It was, in fact, earlier this last year. One of the first questions I asked him, what, she said, and he said, I said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not concerned about all that. I said, let me ask you some questions. I said, how often do you pray together? Been married 15 years. Oh, we've never prayed together. I said, wait a minute. I said, you say that you're believers and you have never prayed one time together? I said, how often do you spend time reading the Bible together? Oh, we don't do that. And the wife says, well, uh, sometimes I read with the kids. I said, I can tell you right now what your problem is. The problem is you guys are selfish and you're thinking more of yourself than you are of God. I said, and if things don't change in your life, you're going to get a divorce. They got a divorce in October. Because they didn't want to hear the truth. Spend time praying. Listen, I, I don't care if all you do is start off with your kids by kneeling down and saying, Lord, I, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Or to keep. If I should die before I wake. Bless mama, papa, grandpa, so on, so on. Amen. 
Start with something. Start with the model prayer. Lord, help me to be able to teach my children what this prayer actually means. Help me to teach them to recognize the holiness, the, 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 the sovereignty of you, King Jesus. And help me to be a testimony to my children so they see that. Getting to bed on time. Boy, this one's not easy. Because we can get, I'm a multi-track person and, and my brain just doesn't always shut off. And there are times though that I have to, and in fact just about every night when I pray, I have to ask the Lord, Lord, allow my brain to actually shut off so that I can get rest. Because if I don't, it's going to go all night long. And every time I wake up, I'm going to think about something. And I'm going to get up the next day, and I'm grumpy. And everybody else in the house is grumpy. And it may not be that they're actually grumpy. It may be that they're just reflecting what I'm reflecting to them. Yes, pastors get grumpy. Rising early to get ready. Now, what time does Sunday Bible class start? 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock. Okay, some of you know that. What time is prayer meeting here? 9.30. Give me a break, Mike. 9.30, okay? What time does service start? 11 o'clock. You know, there are some people in churches, in every church that I have ever been in, and they are what I call drag race Christians. Drag in, race out. Some of them want to drag in, and it's 10.58 and 39 seconds. And before the final benediction is given, they've already got their car started with their remote start. They can't wait to leave. You know, you're not, you're not coming prepared for worship if that's your attitude. So rising early says, hey, I'm going to get up. You, you, you would go to work if you had to be to work at 8 o'clock. What time are you going to be to work? 8 o'clock. Or 10 to 8. But here's an important one. And I believe this one's just as important as the other three. Worship throughout the week. How you come on Sunday is going to be a direct reflection of what you've done Monday through Saturday. If you've had an awful week, if you've had a week that you've just been thinking about yourself and you've just been selfish your desire for worship is going to be selfish as well because you're going to come to church and it's going to be, Pastor, bless me if you can. Or you're going to come to church and it's going to be, well, what can others do for me today instead of how can I be here for somebody else? Look with me at Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and I'm going to read just three of these verses here. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. If you haven't heard me say this, I'm going to say it right now, and it's on record as well. You know, my favorite day of the whole week is Sunday. Because... I get the privilege of being able to share with you what I have spent hours over the last weeks or months in preparing a new series 
to be able to share with you what I found. And I'm just like so excited. I can hardly stand it sometimes. And, and, and to be able to come and, and, and like today, I mean, we've got several people who are out working and some who already said that they're going to be listening to this as soon as it goes on the internet later today. But man, you've got computers open and you've got notebooks and, and, and you're studying these things and you're writing stuff down. You know, I can't tell you how thrilling that is. There are a lot of pastors that would give their right arm to be able to see this on a Saturday morning in their church. But if you and I don't come and worship and come saying, Lord, what wondrous things in your law can I see today? You're going to struggle. I'm going to struggle. And if the only thing that I actually have to give you is my opinion, I'm going to struggle. And you're going to eventually leave because you're going to want to go somewhere where somebody gives you a better opinion than the opinion that I gave you. But I'm not here to give you an opinion. I, I shared some things that rankles feathers. I, I shared some things that makes me look at my own toes to wonder how flat they are today because I've had them stomped all over as a pastor. But the reality is this. There are things that I have to learn and you have to learn. And if we're not changing, what is the purpose of the Christian life if we're not becoming like Christ? Wondrous things. Verse 40, Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness give me life. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, we, don't, we don't want to long after the commandments of God. We just want a little verse once a week and think that that's going to be enough. By the way, I want to encourage you. Where's mine? I want to encourage you. I have got something on here that I have pointed out to some of you. Version Bible. And there's a really cool feature of this app. And it is up here, as soon as you open that up, it says, Add Friends. And if you go in there and you're adding friends, you can hit Add Friends and you can type in Mark Escalera. Oh no, that means I'm going to have to be accountable. That means he's going to see if I don't read today. I'm friends with Ryan. And then there's another really cool feature when somebody actually reads and they finish up their reading plan. You can actually hit a little button. It looks like a heart and you hit that and it's, I love what you're doing because you're spending time with God. What a great way to be able to use that app. I don't care what anybody sees what I'm reading. It's an encouragement to me. And even if it's not, if nobody ever hits love or like on anything that I'm reading, I know what God's doing in my heart because I am learning to have a love for his precepts that I never did before or that has increased. Through discipline thought. We need to adjust our attitude. I want to read one more verse here, verse 96. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Verse 97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation Sunday morning between 11 and 1215. Maybe till 1220 if the pastor doesn't shut up in time. All the day. 
You see, this is one of the things that, that I have encouraged people, and I've heard Dad say this down through the years. I mean, you can go into their little apartment, and you can go into ours. We've got Bibles laying around. We've got verses. We've got little plaques that have verses on them. It's a great reminder. I, I, I've given you that little saying in the past. I believe it was in the last lesson. Just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. Get that plaque made or on a piece of paper. Put it on the wall of your kid's bedroom doors. Put it on the fridge door. Put it on the bathroom door. Put it wherever you have to to remind yourself. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. What a great reminder. But to be able to do this, it, well, you say, well, well, I don't want to be like a, like a fanatic or something. Why not? You know, there's a saying, uh, he's so heavenly minded that he's of no earthly good. <coughs> Let me give you a little twist on that. You and I should strive to be such heavenly minded that we are finally of some earthly good. Romans chapter 12 tells us that through disciplined thought, we can renew our minds. Expect to hear truth when you come. Number five, eliminate distractions. That one's simple, pretty simple. We've already talked about these things. Listen, when, when, when kids come, and there was a reason why we, for example, we have handed out the sermon notes for kids so that they can do little things. I want to say this as nicely as I can. I haven't seen it with the group of people that we have here now. But providing a distraction for your kids and your kids are sitting on the floor in the chair in front of a bunch of other people who are trying to hear God's word and they're playing Tetris on your iPad, that is a distraction. Sorry, but it is. And you know what it's teaching them? Until I become an adult, I don't have to worry about what that preacher is saying. Teach them to listen. You know, I, I, I like, and some of your kids have come up and they've shown me their notebook and it's like, I took some notes today. You know, I don't care whether it's one line. If it's something out of the message, they heard something today. Kudos to the parents. Amen. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of discipline to do that. And no, we don't do it perfectly. I don't do it perfectly. I didn't do it perfectly and neither do you or will you. Make a concerted effort to understand. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do you do this? Take notes. Write your own thoughts. Lord, did I hear something today that maybe I don't like, but help me to search my heart to see if it's something that you can change in me? I mean, if we really believe that we're going to become a new, or that we have become a new creation in Christ Jesus, that means the old things have to pass away, and that means dying to self. Practice and develop your discernment skills. You do this by examining the teaching carefully and maintaining a humble and teachable spirit. Discuss the message. And I've incorporated a lot of these already into the other things that we've talked about. But discuss the message. If you're meeting with people for lunch or having a coffee, talk with them about what you learned. 
you know, there were some really tough things that, that, that Brother Mark covered in, in that Saturday class. And, you know, the Lord is really working on my heart in XYZ area. Would, would you pray with me that, that, that God would give me the ability to implement that in my life? Listen, I will meet with every one of you for coffee every day if that's the kind of conversation you want to have. Discussing the message with other Christians, it also tells other people in your house how important it was to you because you listened. You know, when we come down here on a Sunday and we're having lunch down here, you know, a lot of the conversations, I walk around and I hear things and a lot of the conversations I'm hearing are things about the Lord. Now, not everyone is. Not everyone does every single time. Number nine, don't just discuss the message, but read further. Look at commentaries. If you want to know some great commentaries, come and ask me. I'll tell you. In fact, we've looked at the Blue Letter Bible. Blue Letter Bible is a great commentary. You've got one of the Reformers, Matthew Henry. There's stuff by John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul on there, and others that you can study and read after and say, hey, you know what? It's not just Mark making up stuff sitting in his office because he doesn't have anything better to do. That actually is Bible. I'm hearing it from somebody else. And then finally, look at James chapter 1. And we're going to close this session. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. But... Be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I, um, I'm going to share this illustration with you when I was seven, I think I was seven years old, seven or eight, we had the final graduation at Bible Baptist Church at the Christian school that my parents sacrificed to put us through and my mom was a teacher there. And I can remember uh, uh, going into the meeting, this final service, and the graduates were there, and, and, and each of the classes got to get up and say something to different people, did different things. And I went through the whole thing, and I was so pleased with myself because I had dressed myself. Man, I was ready to go. Until somebody at the end pointed out to me, came and pointed out to me, and I would even got to stand on the pulpit or at the platform. And somebody came up to me and said, your belt is not in all the loops. And you know what? It was one of the high school students. Man, I was so proud of myself because of the things that I had gotten to do. We got to sing in the choir, got to do this and got to do that. And all this person could think of was, I missed belt loops on my jeans. And you know what the problem was? I thought that I was doing good because I had not only dressed myself, I had gotten ready. I might have even looked in the mirror and slicked my hair over. I had hair back then. <laughs> slicked my hair over and put the grease in it and everything. Got it all good to go. But you know what? I didn't look 
Well, I got pictures to prove it. Yeah. And you know, the problem was that I didn't actually check all of me in the mirror. And if all you're checking is what you think in the mirror of God's word, if all you're checking is the front of you, the part that everybody else sees on a Sunday morning between 11 and 1230, if that's all people see, you're only deceiving yourself. Because what you need to do is you need to get in the word so much that when people see you in an off-guarded moment, do they still see Christ? Or do they see more of you missing belt loops? And that's what this last point is, is purpose to make necessary changes. Pray over the changes and practice them daily. You don't become a better baseball player by sitting on the bench and never throwing a ball. You actually have to get out there and throw the ball. You have to run. You have to make mistakes. You have to have time on the field. And the Christian life isn't just found between Sunday morning at 11 and 12.30. If you're a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is every single day from sunup to sundown. Amen? Let's pray. Yes, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, what was the name of that app? Uh, version. Bible version. Yeah, it looks like a Bible. It's a red Bible. I just sent you uh, friends. I thought you had it. Did you get a text from me? So, let's see here. Oh, somebody wants to be my friend. Except... Now I'm in trouble. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this lesson. It's not been easy studying or preparing for it, but it's been necessary. And it's a necessary reminder, I believe, for the brothers and sisters here to become more like Jesus Christ. We ask as we look at this next little section on studying that it would encourage hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.